Hey everyone, Nick Argenbright here from The Good, The Bad, and The Geeky Podcast. This episode is technically, uh, at least I'm calling it this, uh, part two of our finale about Joker, um, or at least that was the impetus for us. It stars, uh, it stars, it stars Sean Wheeler from Cinema Wheeler Day. That's right, Sean the Wheeler. No, Sean and I were talking, and it was such a huge movie geek out session about many multiple things that he, uh, that he, our editor Will and producer of the show, edited a good chunk out, and he just said, "We have an extra bit here. Do you want to use that?" And my first inkling was, you know what? It's the end of the season. I'll, it's an extra bit. I'll record something for it, but I'll hold it back for maybe the beginning of the next season or something like that. Like maybe put it up for Patreon, whatever. But I had a wedding to go to, and the episode was supposed to go live Friday. I had to backdate it, of course, but because the episode didn't go up until late Sunday night, well, for all of you listening to this in the future, this is all time travel, so ignore this. But long story short, because I felt really bad of it, I wasn't going to hold on to it as long as I thought I was. So I'm going to post this as a new spanking new episode. So technically, this is the last part of our season finale where Joker was the main subject. And of course, as you'll hear, we... We cover more, more, more than the Joker. Go all over the place. And as always, it was, it's always a blast when someone with the last name is Wheeler is at my studio recording and whether it be Scott or Sean. So from everyone at Cinema Wheeler today, thank you so much. Please check out their podcast. Their links will be in the show notes again because I get you, unlike you. I'm, I'm a little lazy, so sometimes I like to just click on links. So those links will be in our show notes. And enough of me rambling. Here is the part two of the season finale. Thank you guys, as always, for your patience and your patronage. And we'll see you in 2020 on C... Well, I'll take that back. One last thing. We will probably do a Star Wars episode. It'll be kind of like our Christmas special. For those in Great Britain, I'm a Doctor Who fan, so it's like the GBG Christmas special. It will be about Star Wars. So outside of that, though, we'll see you in 2020. Thank you guys so much for listening, and as always, for your patience with us. You have a great one. He was also in the cabinet cabinet of uh, Dr. Caligari, which is a really famous silent film from yeah. 1920. Well, I feel like all the good filmmakers really back then in silent films, they were German or Austrian or something in that, that region of Europe. Yes. And a lot of those films were under the the category of German expressionism, which yeah. was like this really distinct style that's coming out of Germany, like Fritz Long, who directed Metropolis, and uh, yeah. there's a movie called M with Peter Lorre where he plays a serial killer. They have this, like, dark, Norish tint to them, and they were all silent films, and... Like, Lori was in a silent film? Yeah, he was. It was right before... He, yeah, just like this guy. Uh, he was also in Casablanca and a silent film from the, <laughs> the German... There's so many so many things yeah, that are just, interconnected Oh, here. my God, yeah. Uh, it's called it. M, is the name of the movie, oh so... My, so, yeah. so this is the thing. I... Okay, so we'll talk about... Sorry, we're mm-hmm. just completely different... You're going to do it with this topic. Yeah, I, yeah, you know, yeah. This is... But, uh... And me. So... <laughs> I, as someone who has respected film, but has maybe kind of just been about some of the classics. Like, I've seen 
uh, it's, it's been years, but Caligari, I've seen Nosferatu. Mm-hmm. Um, That's and, another one. Yeah. yeah and uh, what was it? Uh, I didn't know what, what was the movie it was about, but Hugo, I went back and watched. What was that one? It was about the, the moon getting the shot in the eye. Oh, oh, that's that's. I love that too. It's, I think it's is it like a walk on the moon, walk I on think, the moon, something like that. I went back yeah. and watched that, and I was just like, this is really good, even yeah. though there's like no dialogue, no whatever, and I just get kind of. I don't know. With old classic films, I feel like the ones that are popular, mm-hmm. those are actually good. But like TCM or TMC or whatever, they would show every movie because you just can't show the hits mm-hmm. always. And so you get like modest hits or films that – But so pretty much John and Marsha acting. Like mm-hmm. William Shatner acts that way, but he does a good job acting that yes. way. But like other people don't do a good job <laughs> acting that way. So it's like John – I think it's like when the bell tolls. Or something like that. I just remember it was like a five-minute death scene. I was like, I can't stand this. It's overacting to the nth degree, and I can't. And so my perception of older movies, which is bad, um, is sometimes I get very much like... You You know where they actually clicked for me? Is when I started seeing them at the Kappa Summer Movie Series. Which happens here in Columbus, Ohio. Yes, it's Ohio Theater. uh, And... There's a brilliant organist named Clark Wilson who plays the organ as if it was a silent film that was being presented in the 20s and, and it's time. Yeah. And that's when it clicked for me because when you watch it on TCM, they have a pre recorded soundtrack. You have the, the title cards, but when you're seeing it on the big screen with a crowd and you ha- hear the organ live playing along with it. Well, that's how it was designed it, to be made. It, it, yeah, exactly. It finally clicks in place. And you're like, wow, this is brilliant. So so my well, this is where I was going with this. Oh, no, was, sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. You're, you're per- perfectly fine is what would be – so probably right off the bat you would suggest seeing it live with an audience. But Absolutely. what films would you suggest for someone like me where it's just like – I respect it. I want to enjoy it, but like I'm kind of being a grump about it. Which one would push me over the edge and be like, "I love them all"? I have the perfect one: Metropolis. Metropolis. Okay, Metropolis. Yes, that's what the robot. Yes. Everyone remembers the cover, I think, or the poster of Metropolis. Not maybe not maybe not the movie. Yes, because it's been referenced and utilized so many times. Like Blade Runner is oh. influenced by Metropolis. Yeah. The original Batman from '89 has a lot of nods to Metropolis. Uh, Madonna's video for "Express Yourself" is. <laughs> pretty much a remake of metropolis <laughs> uh, that's fantastic you know, her own variation right. so scott and i we went to see it like 15 years ago and scott was hardly what you'd call a silent film buff but he was so blown away by that performance that 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 changed it and and even for me because we saw so many tropes in that movie with the hero the villain that eventually are going to be recycled and utilized in other right. films especially in modern films so that's a great gateway into silent filmmaking then the comedy is probably like 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 Chaplin. You, I wouldn't, wouldn't expect to laugh out loud at people like Chaplin and Keaton, but when I'm watching them at Kappa in front of an audience, yeah. if we're fortunate enough to have that kind of Crap. setup, yeah. the jokes were really funny. And in fact, I could see this joke is f- funny to the audience from like the nineteen from the teens or twenties. The way we're watching The Simpsons now, because you could tell it's a really edgy joke. You, you know, you can sense that a little bit yeah. with some of those references, and it's like that's really cool. They were doing the exact same thing then for that particular vernacular that we're doing now. You know, so, so. well for I mean to tying into that a little bit, which The Simpsons uh, love that this show. Uh, Rocky, I'm a huge Rocky Boinkle fan. Oh, great, and those guys. Well, part of it is they didn't have the money to keep the animation. Like they were literally walking around Mexico and hiring people off the street who had no idea how to draw. They knew you could draw with a pencil, and that's all they knew. Mm-hmm. And then there was a language barrier. Yeah. So then you had to teach one guy to teach multiple people. That's why the show looked horrible. Yeah. And so they realized pretty quickly, 
uh, Bill Scott that he's like, we just got to make it all like a radio show. It's all about the writing. Yeah. Like before it was very like a Crusader rabbit, very stilted animation. You could, it, it, they, they animated, I think for the most part in the States, mm-hmm. but then for that, they did gamma studios and it was a whole thing. And that's why if you look at later seasons of Rocky Bunkle, there's more cartoon jokes, like Looney Tunes stuff where oh, yeah. stuff's happening. It's not all with the narrator. And if so, they do Looney Tunes style jokes with the narrator. But before that, scenario just tells you everything going on, and it's just very basic movements or whatever. And you get that, but there are, but because of that, there's a lot of adult jokes. Mm-hmm. And like I remember, my my dad told me I was like, because well, I think it was coming on Nickelodeon, and I was just like, Dad, you know who Boinkle is? I don't really know who that is. And he's like, your uncle loved him because he would watch it with my with with our mm-hmm. with your grandpa. And I was just like, really? He's <laughs> like. Oh yeah, and then he tried doing like nothing up with Eve or whatever, and <laughs> and you're just like, okay, cool, I guess. And because also, I just can't imagine my one uncle watching cartoons in any way, shape, or form. But he does. But yeah, but yeah. So, but but because The Simpsons did that too, like Bartholomew J. Simpson is after Jay Ward because it's Bullwinkle J. Moose, Rocket J. Squirrel, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. So, but it's they're relevant just in the same way, and it's always weird to watch stuff like that. It's like. You know this is edgy. I don't know if kids today would re- yeah. under- respect that or not. Yeah, but it's it's so it's so awesome. So Metropolis, sorry, Metropolis would definitely be my my favorite. By the way, I'm a huge. I love Rocky and Bullwinkle too. It was my father's favorite cartoon. Oh, yeah, yeah, it was yeah, the yeah. Simpsons of the '60s. It really was. And I love Bullwinkle's voice. It's one of my favorite cartoon voices. Of I all time. I well I you have come into the right spot yes. because <laughs> actually actually I think you're one of the few people I just don't do it all the time around because yeah. there are some people who's like we get it. Stop. Hey, Rocky, why don't you pull a rabbit out of my hat? That works on me every time. Hey, hey, Rocky, watch me pull a rabbit out of my hat. (laughs) Monkey smokes. Great oogly moogly. Yeah, no, no, I I love it. It's it's crack cocaine for me right now. Golly, boy, I can't really do Rocky well, but it's like, golly, Bullwinkle, what's that? What's what? You know, um, and I can kind of do both versions of Bullwinkle, which is there's Keith Scott and Bill Scott. Bill Scott, Mm -hmm. no relation. Keith Scott's Australian, and he's like in his 70s, but he. Did Bullwinkle for the longest time, like in the movie. He did Bullwinkle on some of the shorts. He did Bullwinkle. Frank Welkner kind of did too. But Bill Scott sounds a little bit lower sometimes. Mm-hmm. But Keith Scott does his Bullwinkle a little bit higher. Anyway, that doesn't matter. <laughs> so, that's, so, beautiful. So, no, that's, that's beautiful. That's <laughs> beautiful. And that's why there's that the podcast, the Rocking Bullwinkle podcast. I, Perfect. I do occasionally. So if you'd yeah. like to hear more Bullwinkle, then oh, yeah. I, I will. Um, uh, but uh, yeah, so Metropolis is one you suggest. Yeah, and then uh, was there any other ones you would probably say uh, into? I'd it? say uh, Nosferatu is is a great suggestion for, as a gateway because I mean vampire movies are always fascinating. I think it's one of the creepiest vampire films ever made. It is and, like uh, I mean just just because there's just shots of him doing one pose kind mm-hmm. of and just slowly creeping. Uh, he well, it's probably Michael Jackson was doing that in Thriller, right? Kind of the same that where he does the weird oh. arms up. Yeah, yes, but he makes Beautiful. a dance number of it. But like. Yeah. It's te- technically he's doing the Nosferatu. Yeah, he is. And, you know? and it's terrifying when you watch it. Because your first thought is, oh, it's a dance move. But then when you watch it, it's just really silent. And with the music, and, and he's just, it's terrifying. And he looks like he's suffering from an actual disease. Because, you know, like, I love the uh, Bela Lugosi Dracula. It's oh, very elegant yeah. and classic. But in Nosferatu, the vampire is just like almost like creepy, diseased, almost decaying. And not completely, but it, it, it well, it's unsettling. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, and fun fact for Batman fans: uh, the Ooh. actor who played the vampire in Nosferatu is named Max Shrek, which is where Burton got the name oh, for Batman Returns. Batman Returns which that's oh, man. power. 
plant sucking, you know, the power. That's uh, there's a connective yeah. tissue there. So, uh, well, yeah. so the Joker. <laughs> yes. No. No. I, I I'll go yeah. on as many side tangents as no, necessary. Of course. Of course. Uh, with Joker, though, so that's who he was. That's the actor he was based after. Was the man who laughs. Um, so that's the background, but and the Joker started off as being just a, a crazy clown guy, I would say. Yeah, uh, it started in 1940. It was in the very first issue of Batman, Batman yeah. number one. So Batman had to be like a year before in Detective Comics number 27. This is his 80th yeah. year, uh, which I, um, by the way, if you want History of the Batman, I will plug somebody else's podcast and YouTube channel. It's called History of the Batman. I think her first name is London. Okay. I don't know where they're based out of, but it is really informative about different iterations of the history of the character if you're yeah. interested in stuff. So anyway, like uh, so the Joker debuted in Batman number 1. It came out I think in 1940. So he's close to his 80th year of existence and the Catwoman debuted in that same issue. So did they had really? like yeah. I knew the Joker it did I thought in the first issue, but I didn't know about Catwoman. Okay. So they were basically a series of stories that were collected in one issue the back then as well, opposed to how they are what's now. What's like Amazing Fantasy was uh yes. for, for Marvel. This is how I cuz yeah, so technically they're they're little little stories like maybe five ten pages a pop, maybe five in some cases. Yeah, and with Batman they did I think multiple five page stories in one issue, so you get your money's worth. And you should really check out the artwork for that issue if you can, like Google it or whatever, because the Joker comes in almost fully formed from the classic look of we know of the Joker, purple, yes, shirt, yeah, with the little green, yeah, yeah. He's, he's it's all decked out. He has the green hair, the you know the white face, uh, the red lips, and then the purple outfit. Like it's almost completely in place. It's it's kind of fun to look at from that perspective. Uh, and he was created by Jerry Robinson. Bob Kane did play a handle. By the way, there's a lot of controversy about Bob Kane because there's a man named Bill Finger. Finger yeah, that's actually who I was about ready to. I, I love Bill Finger. I think he's the real genius behind. Have you Batman. watched the documentary? I think it's. Oh like, yes, it's I so loved good. It. I didn't yeah. even know that was a thing, and I was just scrolling through. Hulu, and I was like, <laughs> the man behind Bat, or me and Batman, or the man behind Batman. I was just like. It's yeah. Bob Kane, but it's like about the man you don't know. I was like, oh, who is it? And I watched it. I was like, it was sad, too. It because- is. Cool. He died destitute in the 70s, and he's responsible for one of the greatest pieces of world building and pop culture you right. know yeah um, and, then, and bob kane's such an asshole <laughs> yeah no was. i mean he deserves credit because he came up with the concept of a bat kyphen man that was kind of based on da vinci's the bat it was yeah. like a design but bill finger when i was reading this so bill finger well bill finger came up why don't we give him a dark cow and why don't we give him a city named gotham city and a butler named alfred and and right. we'll give him a sidekick named Robin. He he's contributed like 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 wait a minute. When I listen to Bill Finger's contributions, they sound like everything that Makes people Batman. love about Batman. Batman. Yeah, yeah, that defines him for most people. Bob Kane, I mean, he was the original artist too, so he does def- definitely deserves co credit for that. Sure, but Bill Finger, I think, is the real genius behind Batman. Oh, when I really put it together. Well, when I watched that, I I did too. I was just like, well, isn't it interesting? Like that. So in two of so Marvel and DC. They both have their respective situations like that, which I would say Kirby. Yeah. Um, and, and now we also say Ditko, too. Yeah. They contributed contributed to their respective characters, but Lee got all the credit. And yeah. no offense to Stan Lee. Stan Lee, he did a good job writing yeah. the stuff, but at the same time, the Marvel method of writing is, in some cases, you give them an outline, and then the artist draws, or they just draw, and right. then, then the writer goes in and fills in. That's a different... So really, the artist is telling the story... And every once in a while, Stan might just say, oh, you need to redraw that page because I'm going to do this. Yeah, it's almost like, uh, like it's a- I think in a way, like uh, from what I've read and what I know of it, Stan Lee seems like a 
more upfront about things than maybe Bob Kane was in, well, in comparison. So that's also interesting. They're both showmen. Yes, they are. Um, and but I would say that Stan is just trying to please people, while Bob, I, it felt like more, especially after watching the documentary, mm-hmm. it was more about how can I please you so you give me more money. Why yes. Stan's just like. How can I make fans happy? And you know, even if I go broke and go bankrupt five times and make Marvel with me, how can I make you happy? And it's just right, like, yeah. that's a different thing because then it becomes, it's well, uh, we, and we didn't, I don't think we talked about this too often on the Looney Tunes or barely at all on the Looney Tunes right. one. Was it, was it Bob McKimson or Clampett? Mm-hmm. He started in the 70s, started telling people he created Bugs yes, Bunny and yes. it pissed a lot of people off. It did. And so in the same way, like, he did contribute, but so did Chuck Jones, so did, but especially like Fritz and McKimson oh, all these yeah. other people were probably more the father of Bugs than Clampett was but Clampett still contributed but I feel like Clampett did the same thing where he's just like unintentionally I would say he's like Stan Lee he's yeah. just like I just want to make you happy you want to know about Bugs I created Bugs <laughs> and it's just like or, or probably someone said did you create Bugs and he just goes um I don't remember uh yes I did I did and yeah. then because I feel like Stan does the same thing where it's just like, I told you something in an interview, it's now picked up, and you're asking me about it again. It's like, sure, I, kid, I created Spider-Man, and all right. these other... It's like, no, no, Ditko and Kirby. Ditko and Kirby. <laughs> Here's a lesson learned, too. Don't take full credit for great creations like that. If there's other people involved, let people know about it up, up front, because you're still cool, and you're, it's still cool to be part of the creation of something that great. You know what right. I mean? That's going to transcend generations. So, so this is interesting. Do you think that would you like because so for Marvel fans there's been a slight victory in that they've started crediting Ditko mm-hmm. and Kirby in the credits it's not just Stan Lee I think like Iron Man didn't it say it was created by yeah Stan Lee, I, I, I think so him. yeah and, and my understanding too is like like uh Kirby is probably the most revered artist in the history of comic books. Like he's the guy that everyone yeah. kind of looks at as the man. You know, he's like Kubrick of, of <laughs> that, comic book is, writers, yeah. uh, of illustrators. And I, I love his designs. When I look back, like I'm not as well versed in Marvel as I am with like Batman and DC, right. but I know enough of it to know. Like when I see Kirby's designs, like okay. All those bulk, boxy designs of like the thing and the Hulk yeah. and why they look similar. That's that that distinct look always sticks with me. Well, he moved so. over to DC too and did some work yeah. on DC. Uh, uh, the Demon. I can't remember his name, but it's something. The Demon. He created Dark Side too. And he didn't created he? Dark Side yeah. too, which. I, I mean, it's the, fucking Darkseid. <laughs> I, I feel bad for DC because we got Thanos before Darkseid in the movies. And so people, if Darkseid ever appears, people are going to think he's a ripoff of Thanos. But the opposite is actually true in the comics. I so think. unlike, I'm the opposite of you. I'm more well-versed in Marvel than DC. And, and if I am, it's more Batman than mm. anything. Um, and That's my primary DC. We'll see. Yeah. Right. Um, but have you, did you ever watch the Superman or Justice League animated series by Bruce Yes, Hamm? I love it. Uh, uh, my favorite. So one of my only complaints about Superman, the show, was it's very well done. It's Bruce Timm, so there's a lot of love there. You know it's being poured into the show. But sometimes they would show him just dealing with a robber. And but it, a lot, but and mm-hmm. I get it. You need an action beat, and the villain hasn't yeah. kicked in yet. You have to explain it or whatever. Cool. So you show him stopping a robber, and it just it always kind of this has always been my problem with Superman. But my favorite part of the finale of Justice League is where they fight Darkseid, mm-hmm. and they just level half of Metropolis. Is he just goes? Do you know why? Like I like. You, you think I'm a wimp is because uh, this is paraphrasing horribly but he's just like it's because I hold back everything because I don't want to hurt the fine people of Metropolis or the world but I'm going to unleash it right now and he just beats the shit out of Darkseid and it was just like 
Yes. It, it, so it just completely justified any problem I had with it. So now I don't. Yeah. I don't care about that when I watch that show. I'm just like, yeah, he's holding back. I mean, and you know <laughs> that too. But yeah. they never address it because I think they kind of did in Superman Returns a little bit. Mm-hmm. But it's just like, yeah. So. I, I I just completely love that, but that that and that's my real main knowledge of Darkseid. Like I knew mm. of Darkseid, but I didn't see him until the animated series and see him. I think how he was done in the comics with his yeah. whole little team of, well, it's, technically it's his acolytes, if you mm-hmm. will. N- not to mix another Marvel reference, which is so Thanos had his goons, but like Apocalypse from X Men, he had mm-hmm. his acolytes and blah blah blah. So I mixed. Yeah, he's kind of an and- analog to those guys almost. Well, uh, Apocalypse. Oh, to- yeah. Oh, totally. Like Apocalypse was, in my opinion, a ripoff of Darkseid. Yeah, it is. Which, in, yeah, which, it, and and also Thanos was too. Mm-hmm. Star, I think starring even Jim Star- Starlin's. Uh, the guy who created Thanos even said like Marvel wanted to compete with Darkseid. Yeah, and so. I so there's Thanos the Mad Titan. I'm like, well, okay, cool. I mean, yeah. but again, people are honest about that kind of thing. Stan, maybe not so yeah. much. Beautifully rendered, I might add, in the Infinity Saga on yes. film too. Oh Beautifully God. rendered villain. Well, so, and that's what's sad is that. Did you like the Justice League movie? You know, here's my take on that. Sure, there was such a train wreck involved making that movie. <laughs> I'm, I'm angry with. I'm angry with the executives just shoving it out into the into the, the marketplace because they were yeah. trying to get a bonus and just everything surrounding it. Um, I agree. Even though I'm not a big fan of Zack Snyder's vision, in fact, I wouldn't say I'm much of a fan of his vision overall, I do feel he <laughs> got screwed. I do think he got screwed, but at the same time, Wheaton never really got a chance to make his own fully, fully realized, realized vision. Yeah. But when I watch it, it's kind of like I'll come over to Scott's occasionally, and it'll be oh, it's always on HBO. Yeah, and I will never say it's nowhere near the level of the Avengers movies by oh, any stretch. No, yeah, but Sadly. on its own, in a vacuum, watching it, it is a fun, lighthearted romp. Not what the Justice League should have been, but for what it is, yeah, it's it's watchable. It's not the worst superhero movie I've ever seen. Yeah, you know? oh, well, I, it's really funny. Like I, for me, I feel like Wonder Woman was the turning point. Yes, I loved and, it, and and like so, I didn't love Aquaman, but it but it was to me, Aquaman was a big dumb fun movie, mm-hmm. and like it, honestly, in a way, I and I know you can easily make these comparisons, but. I love the first Thor, but Thor's the first Thor is kind of like that too. Where it's, yes. it's just a big, dumb, fun yes. movie with some Shakespearean overtones, which yeah. Aquaman had too. I it, I'm completely fine with that, but because I feel like I agree with you, Zack Snyder's vision of everything's dark and broody. I'm like, yeah. you know what? Nolan was dark and broody, but he wasn't dark and broody. Yes, it, there's a difference, sir. I also <laughs> I hated the conceit too of killing off Superman before the Justice League movie. Ugh. I wish he had been alive and he had been part of the team because Cavill really came onto his own in Justice I, League, where he was really the well, Superman we wanted to so, see. So now he, that's the question: Do you feel that's Joss Whedon's version of Superman a yes. little bit like? I feel the layout might have been Snyder, yeah. but like the execution was, I think Whedon's cut. Which, yes. So that was my thing of the new movies. I don't mind a more realistic take of Superman, but I always felt like in Batman versus Superman and Man of Steel, there was always like maybe twenty minutes of just stuff they should have just shot, and would have yeah. fixed so many problems of just little things of just like, look, I know 
having that burden on you, like if that was me, it's like Spider-Man. It mm-hmm. would just crush you. But And we've never, at least I haven't really read enough Superman to go, I've not seen Superman deal with that before. Yeah. And I'm intrigued to see him deal with that. But like, I'm sorry, at some point, if a lot of people are loving all over you, I would not sit there and just look sad and depressed. Yeah. I would fly away and maybe be sad there. But yeah. I would just be like, I've saved somebody. I did good today. But God, I hate that feeling. And it's just like, they didn't, it doesn't take that much to show that or talk about. Like, yeah. he goes up in the second one, talk to his space, his his dad in like ghostial form or whatever. And it's just like you could have had three more scenes with it that would have made this movie a million times better. Yes, yeah. <laughs> I'm. I have so many issues. Number one, uh, like you could tell Zack Snyder hates Superman as a character. Like he yeah, was, he seemed yeah. like it's the worst possible fit. Um, and that movie sad. did a dis- disservice to Superman. Uh, it hates that movie. Hates Superman. It does. It's one thing if like I hear a fan saying they don't like Superman. We all have our different tastes, sure, but I sure. would never hire that guy to direct Superman. No. <laughs> That's well, not what I would do. So like, look, I would not. And this is my other thing too: is that say what you will about the Christopher Reeve movies, and it's just because they're a product of the time. They are, yeah. But Superman has always same with Captain America. Those are both characters tied to the American ideal. Yes, and it constantly changes, like America changes. Good and bad. Right. And But, like, those movies to me are the epitome of what Superman should be. So even yes. the Bruce Timm series, they made it – well, Bruce Timm, it's like a modern gothic feel, mm-hmm. but more lighter because it's Superman. But at the same time, it's modern. Yes. And in that, and that's – I'm not going to lie. That's a hard tightrope. I don't wish it on anyone, not even Zack Snyder. But, like, dude, you you just cut – you didn't even throw the rope out there to no, tightrope. You no, just You no. just – with Superman. And I – yeah. I, I This is my take on Superman. I, I love the character because it's Americana. It's a classic character. Is, yeah. He's not supposed to be cool. And when people say, well, he's not relatable, I say, well, he's more of an aspirational character, like Captain America. They are the, yeah. the equivalent of each other on – in their like, sure. Captain America is more humanized because he's mm-hmm. not an alien. But they represent the same ideals. They're aspirational. We need them as something to look up for, up to. We're not going to reach that. But it's better to have that as something to achieve as far as the decency in the character. Yeah, totally. You know, and, and I think Cavill, <laughs> Cavill made a great point, too. He says, what is Superman's greatest – what is his greatest superpower? He was at a panel and he goes, his decency is his greatest superpower. He could level the entire – probably half the universe if he wanted but to. But here's the thing. I, you uh, didn't see that until Justice League. Though. No. And that's the thing that drew – matter of fact, yeah. I was watching it because HBO, I was like, oh, shit. It's on there. And like – uh, I loved what's his name as Flash. I loved uh, Aquaman. I loved all the little beats that were going on. I mean, they weren't. It could have been way better, but I was enjoying. It. It's not mm. like Batman versus Superman bad. And I was just like, this is. I'm enjoying this. Yeah. But my favorite part is where Batman and Superman meet in that one thing at the end of the movie, and and Superman looks at him and he just goes, "We're gonna finish this later, <laughs> but I gotta save someone." And he seemed happy to do it. I was like. There's my Superman. Yeah. I, he just... And that's the other thing, too. Like, it also bothered me. He leveled half the city to destroy Zod. Mm. And that... that Now, granted, that's a debatable thing, too. I didn't feel the way the movie did it. It justified Zod's neck being snapped by yeah. Superman in that manner. Because we didn't see any journey for him to feel conflicted by that anyway. No. So, no. Yeah. So that was my problem with that. Yeah. And I also kind of feel like... I will say that about the Marvel films is that they show the heroes trying to save people. Yes. Or they just show the city's been evacuated. And <laughs> Man of Steel did none of that shit. No. Which 
They did address. I will give them credit. Batman vs Superman. They tried to address it. They did. Anyway. They did. But uh, <laughs> if DC wants to, is looking for a way to crack yeah. the code with Superman in the modern age, all they have to do is look to Chris Evans as Captain America, which I love and I adore. Yeah. That that that's one of my favorite depictions of any superhero I've ever seen. They did, yeah. They did. And, and take that and say, well, that's where we need to go with Superman. Is yeah. look at Chris Evans and how he portrayed Captain America, how Marvel rendered Captain America for the big screen, and you'll be able to do that. Especially the first Avenger. Just look at that movie as oh, a way totally. to, to, to design your Superman. What, you know? It's really fascinating, too, is that which is interesting is that they did then did that, but they did it with Wonder Woman instead. Yeah, they did. And, and it worked. And it worked wonderfully. It was, it was so Perfect. Good. I was, love that movie. And I'm, I'm so excited for the sequel. And so that's the thing, too, is that like I feel like, and this is my overall beef with DC, um, Batman usually gets a pass. Because yeah. the Batman stuff, well, it's like Spider-Man. You can screw up anything else, but it's hard to screw up Spider-Man, even though they do. Um, but it's the same thing with Batman. It's mm. almost impossible to screw him up, and even though there's some misfires here yeah. and there. But you still go, well, I'm still going to see the next Batman movie. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you yeah. know, No matter if they reboot it, no matter if it's a sequel. <laughs> I will always be front and center for a Batman movie. Well, you know? Exactly. Yeah. And it's the same thing. Like Those two characters can survive multiple mm-hmm. problems. But I feel DC's in general, and maybe this is again this is a marvel fanboy coming out a little bit and i apologize uh i remember watching kevin smith interviewing stan lee and one of his stories was he's like i was friends with the guys at dc i love them dearly but their sales or if they were starting to slag they would look at us and go well, what are they doing on their covers and they would try to mimic it and i feel like that's dc's entire publication yeah. and movies are, are the same way too i feel like right now they're trying to come in their own they're let patty jenkins do wonder mm-hmm. woman they let the Aquaman team kind of do Aquaman. James Gunn, they're letting yeah. him go wild on Suicide Squad. And I'm just like, okay. I'm And and this movie, which we're here to talk about. Yeah, yeah. Joke, no, Joker Joker is the same thing, too. It's its, yes. its own unique vision of, of a character that's in their stead. Yes. And it, they're not worried necessarily about continuity. No. It's, it's, a, it's the story that they're trying to tell, which is nice it is and uh, there's an equivalent in i think dc for this type of venture which is elseworlds where they'll do like yeah. uh like a like an alternate take on a famous character i think one of their first graphic novels was a was a was one called gotham by gaslight which just yes. takes the batman universe and depicts it into like victorian mm-hmm. era mm-hmm. uh when jack the ripper's still out so it's well, a really fascinating so take. i will say this is the one thing i do applaud dc for too and this is from the marvel perspective because marvel's doing it now but they didn't do it when i was growing up was dc was just like hey alan moore you have a story you want to tell well fuck continuity we're just gonna give you we're gonna yes. publish it and then maybe do it as a graphic novel or do it as a graphic novel first and then release it in, in many issues. I don't know. But you know what? And then – and you know what? It's fine. It's its own thing. And then fan outcry is a different problem, which is why that became canon. But still, it's just like – but DC would do that for everything. Yeah. Not just for Elseworlds. I think sometimes those Elseworlds stories would be stuff like that. Yes. But, yeah. But, I mean, that's amazing. Like, we're only now getting this on the Marvel side. And it's just like, it's awesome when you're not beholden by continuity. You can tell a unique yeah. story. DC's been doing that for years. Yes. And yes. it's amazing. And in the Batman character, especially, was it, uh, I think the, some of the Nolan stuff was based on, was it the long, long Halloween? Yeah. Yeah. Like, uh, he, he drew from, I think the long Halloween and Batman year one, especially, I, I saw yes. a lot of that DNA in, in, in his, his version of Batman. I have an interesting take on that too. Like, yeah. uh, I really, Respect and admire 
the Nolan films. I think it was necessary after Schumacher's take on Batman, which was a radically yeah. different direction. My only thing is, I think sometimes I don't always want to see the gritty, hardcore, realistic take on Batman. I want more of a uh, of a middle ground. Like I don't want it to be campy, but I also don't want it to be so realistic that it takes the fun out of, out it, of it, where you have to justify. Why does the Joker have face paint? Why is his face painted in, in, in white? But then again, I see Suicide Squad where he does get dipped in acid, and I didn't care for that take either. So, 